ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thank you for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and region. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the innovation does not stand still on Work With Purpose. And today, another episode with a difference. Today, we feature the IPA future leaders who undertook a hackathon to explore the question of how could or should the APS look one year from now. Now, the IPA future leaders, as you have seen from the important contribution that they have made to work with purpose, are the best and brightest. And I would encourage all of you with an interest in making a bigger contribution to the APS to be in touch with IPA about getting involved in the Futures Leaders program. They are a seriously bright and committed group of people who are doing great work. Now, this episode also features a good friend of Work With Purpose, Catherine Jones, who is our first two-time guest. You will remember that Catherine featured in the very first episode of Work With Purpose when she appeared alongside the Public Service Commissioner, Peter Walcott, in her then role as Deputy Secretary of the Department of Finance and the Chair of the Chief Operating Officers Committee. She's since moved on to a very important role at the Department of Defence as Associate Secretary. So Catherine Jones is joined on this episode by two of IPA's future leaders in a discussion that is hosted by Matt McMahon, who is the Assistant Commissioner of the Australian Electoral Commission. It's a fascinating conversation and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt McMahon. Hello and welcome everyone to this podcast exploring the topic about uh, what could or should the APS look like one year from now. Uh, This was uh, explored recently with the IPA Future Leaders Series Hackathon, um, which uh, participants of future leaders, both past and present, uh, explored that topic and also uh, introduced uh, a number of key themes that um, our, our keynote speaker, Catherine Jones, PSM, uh, provided. And uh, some of those uh, themes included interdepartmental governance to enable greater collaboration, flexible working in a digital world, how do we maintain momentum with surge capacity to support greater mobility in an agile way. It was a fantastic discussion across the groups uh, with some great ideas Um, And before I begin, I'll introduce our uh, podcast uh, panel today. Um, Firstly, we have uh, Catherine Jones, uh, PSM. Um, Catherine is is commenced as the Associate Secretary of the Department of Defence in June 2020. Uh, Prior to her appointment as Associate Secretary, Catherine was the Deputy Secretary for Enabling Business business Enabling Services in the Australian Government Department of Finance. Um, She held that role since October 2017. She has practical experience in delivering shared services in government and was responsible for delivering whole-of-government digital service systems to support collaboration and customer service, including the innovative GovTeams platform. Catherine has previously held senior positions in the Attorney-General's Department, including as the Deputy Secretary responsible for National Security, Criminal Justice and Emergency Management, 
the head of International Crime Cooperation Division and the head of the Social Inclusion Division with responsibility for policy and programs across Indigenous justice, native title, legal assistance and human rights. In 2017, Catherine received a public service medal for her outstanding contribution in the field of national security. And welcome back, Catherine, to your second IPA podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. And it was a fantastic. I was uh, re-watching it the other day and I thought it was just wonderful uh, with Peter Woolcott, AO, who is our Australian Public Service Commissioner. And uh, it, It's been an interesting time since that first one back then, uh, way in the beginning of this COVID environment. Oh, it was. It felt, feels like it was a different world then, but uh, it was great to have that conversation with Peter and uh, I've loved all the subsequent podcasts. I think that's a fantastic initiative and uh, IPA should be really proud of what it's done with the podcast. It really has. And uh, the hackathon reflected on a number of those things about the usefulness of the podcast itself. Um, I'd also like to introduce our other uh, 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 panel here today for the podcast. And we've got uh, wonderful future leaders with us today. We've got Holly Noble, who is the chair of the Future Leaders Committee. Um, Holly is also the Director of Business Transformation in the Department of Finance. And welcome, Holly. Thank you, Matt. And um, we also have Rachel Martin, who's a member of the Future Leaders Committee and is the Associate Director, National Security and Justice in KPMG. And welcome, Rachel. Thanks, Matt. So, Catherine, I might open up by just giving a short reflection on some of the key points that you raised in both your uh, keynote and in, in some of the Q&A. And I, I think it was just fascinating to understand um, some of the areas that you raised, including around in, in identifying the need for change and, and individuals driving the change themselves. And I just wanted to sort of open up uh, the discussion today with just maybe a short reflection on what, that. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Um, uh, well, firstly, it's fantastic. It's very exciting being here with Rachel and Holly uh, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing about what the hackathon uh, focused on. Um, and I think the fact that the Young Leaders Group uh, came together to really think through uh, and develop further ideas for change and reform is fantastic. Uh, and it fits with the theme that I discussed uh, at the uh, in the introduction to the hackathon, uh, which is, uh, you know, for genuine change to happen in an organisation, I think it needs to come in two ways. You need leadership uh, and whole of organisation uh, commitment uh, and uh, a, a structured approach to driving change. You need the culture that is supportive of change. Uh, but you need individuals who, who know the, their areas of work, they know their customers, they know their clients, they know their stakeholders, uh, and they're the ones that are capable of making those step changes. Uh, so uh, you can have the most um, wonderful bling approach to reform at a whole of organisation level, but if you haven't got the commitment of people like Rachel and Holly uh, to make a difference where they work, um, it, you'll have something that could look good in a, in a glossy brochure, but actually won't drive long-term enduring change in an organisation. And I think that's often the cliche, uh, top-down, bottom-up, or, the, you know, the, the strong commitment of your leaders is, is just essential because it, it really does drive a key path. And I think that's an area that you reflected on in your time in Department of Finance and now moving into Department of Defence around transformation and, 
and how to actually drive that change across an organisation where uh, perhaps culturally the, it has stayed very much the same for quite a period of time and, and, and how um, challenging that can be as well. Yeah, but uh, it, it is a real, it, it's, it's a leadership challenge and in the Department of Finance uh, the transformation journey had already commenced when I came there uh, uh, and I just played a role uh, encouraging it to continue on in its journey. But uh, uh, leadership needs to create the environment where people feel that they, uh, they are supported when ideas are raised, that resources are given uh, to, to take through change, um, and that people, people who are close to where the work is done uh, are given the opportunity to raise their ideas further up the line. Um, so it's, it's a supportive culture. I think it does need to be wrapped in a clear strategic direction of where you want your organisation to go, the type of organisation you want. But then um, my personal view is uh, make space and, and, and provide the environment for people to come forward with ideas. Mm, and I think one of the other areas you, you mentioned was around change being one of those endless processes. You know, it's a, it's a form of continual evolution and change. And, and I think that that um, is something that in finance, it doesn't just end in 2021 or 2022. It, it is a continual process. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've been reflecting on this a little bit, uh, particularly now that I've moved across the defence. Uh, and uh, I think one of the great things in being in an organisation like defence is that you start to think you don't think in just in terms of the next two, three, five years. You're thinking 10, 20 years because that's the, st the strategic horizon that you've got to work towards. Um, and so for me, coming new into defence, the, the, the issue that I'm grappling is, is how do you contribute to making your organisation uh, an organisation that has a dynamic approach to change, that it's ongoing, that it's not transactional, it's not static, uh, that it's built into the DNA of the organisation uh, and you've got the capability to constantly uh, refine and improve the way that you organise yourself and that the way that you operate. Uh, and I think uh, having that longer time horizon... Uh, is really important and uh, has helped me think a little bit differently about change. Mm. And I think uh, another really keen area, and it was one of the themes which was around maintaining momentum with surge capacity to support greater mobility in more of an agile way. And I think, um, you know, mobility has been a really key area and, and reflecting on uh, your first, uh, in the first podcast, you, yourself and uh, Peter Walcott talked about mobility and the APS reform and how that, uh, you know, in a way COVID's accelerated a range of areas and mobility is an area of that. The hackathon uh, participants did reflect on that and, and the importance of it and sort of the challenges and they highlighted issues around, you know, we should have an APS-wide process for surge mobility, you know, including criteria that sit around that. Um, you know, how do we know the priorities across government to, to do that? There's not, you know, there's not necessarily a list that everyone just taps into every day. It's, it's more complex than that. Um, so I think another area was around mobility and secondment architecture and how to, you know, the secondment why using secondments as mobility. So um, any thoughts on how mobility is, is really sort of moved perhaps since, since your first podcast and now, but probably more broadly across, across the APS? Yeah, uh, look, I, I think um, 
my starting proposition is one APS. Uh, and I think if you if you start thinking uh, uh, about your your role and your contribution as being part of that much broader entity, psychologically, uh, the idea of moving to different parts of it um, is a much uh, straightforward proposition. Um, and, and I think um, the leadership across the breadth of the APS. Uh, are increasingly thinking in those terms, uh, that the departments are just parts of the broader organisation. Uh, I think we, the Secretary's Board have created the coup committee uh, uh, that I'm on, and uh, we certainly have an appetite for thinking about how we can um, uh, work together to develop those type of structures to facilitate uh, greater mobility. I think um, we... The, the COVID experience has taught us uh, that we actually do have the capacity to very quickly pivot and push resources to the highest priority. Um, the, the challenge for us is how do we ensure we can do that in a non-crisis environment? Uh, I certainly think we can. I think we've proven, uh, we've proven the case uh, that we can respond uh, in in difficult circumstances, but I think we can now translate that into a more enduring model. Yeah, and I think certainly now we're, we're seeing it be embedded in state government responses as well as not it's not just a federal response. We're using the resources of everyone to try and mobilise. Uh, but you're right, at, in a time of crisis is generally when it's needed. It's, it's how do we envision uh, what mobility is like in five years' time or ten years' time? Um, because that's, that's something I think we were looking at with the APS reform work in thinking about that, but we're a bit more accelerated with time now, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's good for, good for the organisations. It's good for the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. And it's great for um, people in their careers to be able to experience uh, the, the breadth of opportunity that the whole APS offers. It really is. It really is. Might uh, throw it to Holly, uh, who will do some reflections and some questions too. Thank you, Matt. Um, so we actually had two groups who were talking about interdepartmental governance to enable greater collaboration, which is fantastic that there were two groups talking about governance. It just fills me with joy. Um, <laughs> There were some fantastic reflections, but a couple of key ones, just if I can pick up on what you'd mentioned before. You'd talked about people being close to where the work is done, giving the opportunity to make decisions. The group was reflecting, or I should say, sorry, the groups were reflecting, that we often see interdepartmental governance work really well at a senior level, and the coup committee was mentioned. But when we get to the more operational levels, it doesn't always work as effectively. There was a broad conversation around the merits of a decentralised decision-making uh, model, encouraging people to engage with risk in their decision-making proactively um, and delegating uh, capacity downwards so that we've got uh, more space for strategic thought. Any reflections on how you've seen decentralised decision-making work well? It is quite a big shift for a lot of areas, but keen to keep pushing. Yeah. I think you can look, you can, you know, think about that through a, a, through a few different perspectives. Um, and one of them, I think, is to recognise that there's a, an awful lot of activity and um, decision-making that happens in the APS that's not in Canberra. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be uh, so Canberra-centric. Uh, 
and, and you can see uh, that there's fantastic work that's done uh, in the regions, in remote areas, uh, and um, very effective outcomes that are responding to local needs. And I think that's a really uh, good example of where the APS, um, in, in a lot of its core business, uh, is is able to, um, you know, uh, operate in a in a less sort of structured way. Although there's structure to it, I don't want to suggest there's not. Um, but uh, I think the, if I'm right, I think the point you're really trying to address is um, uh, how do we ensure that there's agency and authority at lower levels in organisations to be able to um, come together, uh, consider solutions to problems uh, and, uh, and have those solutions implemented. And I think um, uh, there's... It works sometimes. Uh, I think there are some challenges uh, around that happening. I think sometimes uh, decision-making is at fairly high levels in organisations. Um, I'd love to see more of a model where we could um, give specific um, responsibility to um, cross-departmental groups uh, to develop genuine cross or whole of APS solutions. Uh, and uh, it's just occurred to me, maybe maybe we should be doing some direct tasking out of the coup committee uh, to some cross-departmental uh, groups to help us develop those ideas because um, that whilst when you operate at the more senior levels, you've got the per you, you get the great advantage of um, a perspective of being able to see across, but you do become a little bit removed from what are the genuine problems that are sought to be solved, whether they're problems around how we operate or the or the policy or operational problems that it's our responsibility to solve. So I think there could be um, some great advantage in, um, in uh, giving authority to um, people at different levels to, to tackle some of those issues. That's great to hear. Um, Something else that you talked about was the commitment of people being really important to underpin effective transformational change. And culture and collaboration as a value that we have as part of our culture came up a lot. The group spent quite a lot of time discussing that. There was an interesting point put across that possibly collaboration is often not put forward because it's there's a competitive slant to things, particularly when budget becomes involved. There was some reflections that um, culture is often different depending on which team uh, you're working in um, and it's often transient depending on which people are in that team at what time. We know as uh, future leaders that there is a role for leadership at all levels and we all play a, a role in building um, a dynamic culture that values collaboration but it's often difficult to know where to start, um, particularly if you're incubating that in your own organisation or department What's the first step for someone who's looking to take an active role in shaping that? That's a, that's a, great, um, a great question and I think really goes right to the heart of how we uh, should um, need to think about working in the APS. Um, my personal view is we all have to model collaboration. It needs to be part of our DNA. Um, uh, I, but I, I think the step before you before you reach the, the sort of behavioural cultural issue, I think there's a step before that which is an understanding uh, that there 
that the way to deliver solutions for the Australian people it absolutely requires collaboration. Um, and uh, I, th I think if we can have that as the fundamental mindset when people enter the APS, uh, that, that that's how you'll be... It, the way to be rewarded in your career, the way to achieve in your career, the way to deliver the best outcomes is through collaboration. Um, and, you know, I often say uh, it's not just what you deliver, it's how you deliver it. Mm -hmm. And the how is being collaborative uh, and working up solutions that will be enduring. And um, I know from many years of experience that you will not develop enduring solutions if you're doing them in a silo. So uh, I think it's, it's encouraging that. You've got to model it yourself uh, in every aspect of the way that you work as a leader. Uh, and um, collaborative leaders at any level can make such a difference to their organisation. Uh, so I think it's live it every day uh, of your career uh, and um, live it not just within your own organisation but outside your organisation. I think that's some great advice. Um, you often hear... Um, leadership at all levels, but someone's always watching you as a leader. So if you're modelling those behaviours outwardly, then hopefully it will catch on and have a, a ripple effect. Um, we had one more uh, theme that emerged when we were discussing interdepartmental governance. There was a conversation around the difference between a proactive approach to interdepartmental governance and possibly a reactive approach. And while we've seen through the COVID environment that that reactive approach has um, sparked this interaction, we've we've absolutely had to push forward and we've seen some fantastic momentum gained. How do we build on that momentum? The group were considering um, that there may be a place for uh, a bit of a gap analysis of what we've done really well um, for particular interdepartmental governance themes, what we can learn um, and how we might push forward with that. If we were to challenge you to think of a couple of key areas for us to start with, what would they be? Mm, thank you. Uh, that is a great question. Um, uh, so, Gaps in the way that we, we operate uh, across departments. Um, I think, I think uh, there's probably, um, in terms of the, the proactive piece, the, as you framed it at the beginning, because you're right, we're fantastic at when there's a, mm -hmm. when there's a problem right on top of us, we go, right, bang, let's have, a, let's have a task force or a committee, let's come together and solve it, and we do that extremely well. I think it's, at, it's probably at the strategic priority setting uh, piece uh, where, you know, do we, do we do enough of sitting down and saying, what is the next five, ten years going to look like mm -hmm. across this area of activity that will affect the Australian people? Um, have, we, have we really thought uh, in, in, on that long-term horizon what are all the different equities that we're going to need to draw upon? What, how can our policy knowledge, our operational knowledge, our service delivery knowledge um, help, help inform uh, our thinking right out to the longer term? Uh, I, think, I think there's probably a gap there where we, we um, don't necessarily have the space to do that uh, uh, sufficiently, and I think uh, that would be... Um, that would be something that would be fantastic if we could um, spend some more time doing. Um, 
I, I think probably, um, you know, uh, the, another area that I'm really passionate about is um, how we can build the uh, foundational enabling services and the one way of operating that I think is the springboard for being able to encourage that greater um, cross-agency, cross-department collaboration, whole-of-government collaboration. Um, we're, on a, we're on a journey to achieve that with uh, initiatives like the Shared Services Program and the Gov ERP Program, which at, is, at its essence um, uh, aims to be uh, the, the, the program that will provide the core for uh, a lot of uh, joined-up digital services across government for government. Um, so I think uh, I think we've got some aspiration in that space. We've made some good first steps, but there's a long way for us to go. Uh, and, and so that would be the other area where I'd love to see greater um, momentum and achievement. Those are some great things for us to work on. Thank you. I might pass to Rachel. Thank you. Um, so I was privileged enough to be part of a group discussing uh, why we need to enable greater flexible working going forward. So, I mean, just to call the elephant in the room out right at the outset, obviously COVID has challenged the way the APS works uh, digitally, flexibly and remotely uh, now and into the future. And, you know, many of our colleagues in the APS and indeed the VPS in Victoria are still grappling with those challenges today and will be for the months and, and the weeks to come. Um, so uh, much of the conversation on this topic revolved around the cultural challenges inherent in continuing this way of working going forward. Obviously, most of us will have experienced the fact that a button was pressed and everyone sort of dispersed to, to where it was safe to do so in line with health advice. In terms of how we keep that momentum going and the cultural practices we need to embed in leaders throughout organisations, um, I guess it was one that the group talked around a lot and no one really felt like they had an answer, um, and perhaps there isn't a silver bullet, um, but interested in your reflections as to what we can do from a cultural perspective to maintain that flexibility, which so many people really enjoyed, um, picking how they, you know, maintained contact with the office but, but worked flexibly as well. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's one of the um, a few silver linings over what uh, we are all experiencing uh, in the COVID environment that... Uh, this um, aspiration that we've had to really um, take the flexible work uh, concept to the next level uh, has has materialised. I think um, I think we need to be quite clear about how we frame it. If we want to make this as something that we're going to embed into the way that the APS operates, uh, in a way that the private sector is is also uh, thinking through. Um, we need to understand that there are a range of um, objectives that need to be met here. So we can't lose sight of the fact that organisations still have to deliver their outcomes. So we have to understand the operational need of the organisations as a whole, uh, but also the different parts of it, because we all work in incredibly varied organisations that have functions, some of which are uh, quite readily uh, capable of being performed remotely. Some are not. Um, so we need to understand that um, because you, you, you do uh, want to make sure that there's an equitable approach across your organisations. Um, but I think we have um, very much demonstrated that 
the key to unlocking flexible work arrangements. I think we always thought it was about IT uh, and having the IT. The IT obviously is an enabler of it, but it's not the key. I think um, it's it's about um, leaders and managers creating the right environment, um, giving permission, um, managers learning a new way of managing, uh, which isn't that you you can sit there and see all your team uh, and know that they're working. Uh, it, it, it takes what I think is one of the most exciting things about uh, this environment. You have to operate so much more as a joined-up team. Uh, and then you think about all your responsibilities uh, collectively uh, and whether or not someone's working in the office or from home or down at the local cafe is less important than the team delivers on its objectives and everyone knows their roles and responsibilities. Um, so I think the last few months has, ha, have demonstrated that. Um, we need to continue to encourage leaders and managers to support that way of operating, that it's not an exceptional way of operating. In fact, that it should be uh, the normal way. Um, I, I think there's just uh, great value uh, in, um, in having that um, commitment from leaders. I think we, we have to recognise, though, we don't want to end... I certainly don't want to end in a space where we have people who work from home five days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, some people have said they'd love to work home, at home all the time. <laughs> I, I, don't, I think that's going too far the other way. Um, particularly if you talk to young people, they want to be mentored, they want to be able to have interaction with team members. Uh, we are social beings. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, the model of people coming in five days a week, working their uh, standard hours uh, and feeling guilty if they have to adjust those hours, I think we may have moved away from that. Um, I do know that there's there's a bit of a, a default coming back to some people being in the office all the time. So I, th- I think leaders have to continually message about the value of, of flexible work. Um, but it, it's a balancing. And, you know, I've heard arguments about you should set targets of 80, 80% of your people working from home or, or you shouldn't support it at all because it's not going to work in this area. It, it's not as black and white. Uh, and I think uh, all organisations should think quite flexibly about flexibility. I'm going to end on that pithy little note. (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot to think about in what you just said, and you've actually provided the perfect segue into the next piece that was was roundly discussed in the group, um, which was around resilience and maintaining resilience in a digital work environment. Um, The hackathon was attended by people in that future leader bracket, and there was quite a bit of conversation. I mean, if we define you know, one aspect of leadership is having resilience yourself and then building that in your team, the ability to do that remotely and to support, you you know, your team, whether that's, you know, colleagues at level, support up and support down in a period like this when you're working remotely. Um, there, were, there were a lot of reflections and a lot of conversations about things people have learnt from that process, just, you know, the importance of picking up the phone as opposed to relying on email, lots of little anecdotes around that. And I think um, everyone would be very interested in your reflections about our own what you've learnt um, through this process, what you've seen work well in terms of building the resilience in your team, maintaining that connectivity. If this is going to be part of how we work into the future, um, it appears to me to be a new skill that, or perhaps a different way of delivering an old skill um, in a new digital world. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of um, describing it, Rachel, because I think that's right. Um, so I, I think, 
you, leaders and managers and team members do need to think differently. Um, uh, you, but I, I, I think there's um, the ability to get a lot more autonomy, but in, in, a, in, in an appropriately joined up way with teams. I am passionate about uh, video conferencing capabilities. Uh, GovTeams is great. I'll just mention that again. But <laughs> there are there are other f- formats for doing that. But if you if you've got some of that the, those more mature, advanced digital platforms uh, or video conferencing platforms to operate on, uh, you can be incredibly engaged as a, as a team. Uh, across multiple locations. You can uh, co-author and collaborate uh, on documents. Uh, you can have full team meetings. Um, you can have hybrid approaches where some people are working from home, some people are in the office. Uh, um, so I think this sort of uh, binary idea of, you know, um, working at home but being a little bit detached or working in the office and being able to have those water cooler conversations. I think we've got to... Well, we have moved beyond that and I think we should move our thinking beyond that. Um, uh, yet you, you, you certainly do have to work... You, you miss... There are some things that you miss when uh, a large number of your team are working remotely. You just don't have those corridor encounters. Um, and so that's, that's uh, a challenge... Um, uh, the video conferencing platforms can give you a way of doing that. Um, and I know um, the times when I worked at home, uh, I'd be on Gov Teams, I'd be talking, I'd be video conferencing, I'd be WhatsApping, <laughs> I'd be texting. Uh, people were IMing me um, uh, and the phone would ring, you know. So just multiple ways that you can connect and have uh, serious structured conversations as well as those... Uh, interactions uh, that create team, create um, uh, uh, collaboration and inspire ideas. Uh, But you do have to work about it. You you need to think differently about um, uh, how you're going to engage. But think of it through the lens of being part of a team. Thanks, Catherine. And I think that uh, last point, uh, my late grandfather was a secretary of the Chief Minister's Department in Northern Territory and he, and, uh, he uh, often reflected on uh, how hard it was to uh, uh, answer the phone and that was his only form of communication because <laughs> they didn't have email and, you know, if you needed a letter written, it got written. So, you know, it's a very different world from the 70s to today and I think that is a significant challenge for all of us. So... Um, one of the, uh, just to sort of uh, uh, wrap up in a way, um, one of the areas that you did uh, put forward to the hackathon participants was, you know, in a form of a challenge and, and thinking about, you know, what are the ways to, um, you know, what are the opportunities? What are the ways that we could shape, um, you know, into the future? And um, what, you know, particularly, um, you know, as a councillor of IPA and chair of the Q committee and in your role, um, your new role as Associate Secretary in Department of Defence, what do you see as some of the possible key next steps that either the future leaders or the APS perhaps need to take? Mm. Well, well, certainly we... Um uh, I do know that the group are doing a report to IPA, so that's, that's fantastic, right. yeah, that's um, right. and that'll be great for the, um, uh, the the team at IPA, the council, to have a look at that. Uh, I, I think one of the critical things is go back into your own organisations, go, though, um, report back on the conversations, um, get it, you know, be bold, 
see if you can get invited to your um, executive committee or executive board and say, I participated in this hackathon and we came up, we, we had a fantastic conversation and here are some of the issues that we felt should be explored. Uh, can we discuss them with you? Um, uh, you know, continue participating through the Young Leaders Program, but I think um, getting those ideas uh, into um, the conversation within your organisations um, and perhaps uh, I've just thought that, again, maybe at some point we should invite some of the, the members to come to the coup committee and we could talk to us about some of the ideas uh, you've put there so that um, there's a voice directly to the coup committee. But um, don't just do a report and then, and then leave it alone. Uh, be persistent. Try to influence in your organisations and, and use your network to influence uh, that's one of the critical things uh, for you to do as public servants, I think. Well, thanks, Catherine. What a fantastic uh, uh, a way to round out this this podcast. And uh, and thank you so much to Holly and Rachel and all the hackathon participants. I, I think the reflections and the comments and the ideas and while we, you know, not everyone has all the answers, um, I think it's just an amazing uh, an approach, a different approach to perhaps... Uh, coming up with different ways of thinking and new ideas. And I, I think the hackathon was, uh, you know, successful in that. And as you said, uh, the Future Leaders Committee will be preparing a paper for, for the council. And I think we, we will most likely take you up on that uh, invitation to the Coup Committee, I'm sure. But uh, that's another great step as well. Um, so thank you very much, Catherine, Holly and Rachel for being here today. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening into this podcast. So there you have it. What a great conversation and so much to think about. Thanks to Matt McMahon, Catherine Jones, Rachel Martin and Holly Noble and to everyone who participated in the IPA Future Leaders Hackathon. Next week, we shift the conversation to taxation when we speak with Chris Jordan, the Australian Tax Commissioner. The Commissioner has been in his role since 2013 and that appointment followed a wonderful career in the private sector where he spent 25 years with KPMG. He has overseen a massive transformation in the way the Australian tax office works and I'm certainly looking forward to discussing that with him next week. So thanks again to IPA and to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support and thanks to you, the audience, for coming back again in such strong numbers. Now, our numbers of subscribers and listeners is still growing strongly. So if you do see our social media promotion for this particular episode, please give it a share, a like, a comment, or subscribe, or leave a review uh, on your podcast app because it all helps for the program to be discovered. So Thank you very much for that support and thanks for coming back because it is important that we have these conversations about the important work of the Australian Public Service. Work With Purpose is part of the GovComs podcast network and if you would like to listen to a podcast about government communications, just type GovComs into your favourite podcast catcher and you will find it there there are about 230 episodes now of GovComs and I'm sure there is something there for all of you to enjoy and to learn from. So 
Thanks again to our guests today. But for now, it's time to go, and we will be back at the same time next week. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 